Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. Thanks so much for being in church this morning. And welcome to 2021. I'm just going to bring my mic a little further down here, so you might need to turn me up a bit. Welcome to 2021. Last year was a, a crazy year, can we all admit? Like, has anybody got a ridiculous story for anything that happens that was just a little bit different from all the years previous? No? Well, oh, Tom's got one. Here we go. Um, I bought a car and then it broke down. Yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) That wasn't part of COVID. That was just, yeah, three months it broke down every week. That was crazy. I, um, oh, here we go. Wow, my sad story seems really insignificant now. I was going to say, you know those two weeks that like we had to stay at home for? They broke me. Like two weeks just at home. I'm a social extrovert through and through and through. Like I get my energy from being around people. Those two weeks alone, I, I'm praying and I feel so sorry for all those people that are still in lockdown. There are people in England who have been in lockdown since March, since February and I get to see people, like, all the time. Those two weeks that I had to spend at home broke me. Like, I've never been depressed before, but that is the closest I ever got to being depressed. Two weeks. Like, imagine two, Imagine if it was three weeks. Like, you wouldn't have a youth pastor. I'd be in a psych ward right now. But, you know, last year was, it was a bit of a crazy year. And I, can, I think we can all admit, we all got a little offended by some things last year. Like, crazy things went on in America, and we were getting offended at America, and we don't live in America. Like, anybody else was offended at that whole, like, big election saga? I I don't know how they do it, but they managed to offend me. Or we got offended in stores when people took the toilet paper and we didn't have any. Did anybody run out of toilet paper? Oh, Haley ran out of toilet paper. I can't imagine what you were using instead. But last year was such a year of offense. So I thought one of the best things that we could do to start this year is to talk about offense. Because I believe we get it so wrong when we deal with offense. So many of us don't know how to deal with it when people offend us. And it's a really important thing that we know how to deal with offense because offense can either make, break, or heal a relationship. You can just go the same, you can be better after offense, or you can be so much worse after offense. So I thought today we'd just talk about offense. So the title of my message, it's not going to come up on the screen, but I thought it was really, really cool, is let's take offense to offense. Now, I don't mean that offense can be spelt with an S at the end or a C at the end, and there's actually two words. You can be on the offense, as in when you're playing a game of, I don't know, footy or something, and you're in the offense, or there's offense. So we're going to take the offense to offense. I thought that was just kind of smart, but... It's not really, it's inconsequential to the rest of the message. But you know, there have been moments in my life where somebody started talking and I really wanted to duct tape their mouth shut. Um, You've all experienced that? Yeah? Um, Nick's experienced that. I've experienced that too, Nick. Um, But see, whether it was a silly comment or whether it was something that somebody said that was just plain wrong and they should never have said it in the first place, there's always those times where you just wish you could turn their vocal cords off Parents, don't raise your hands, but we all know who you are. You do wish there was a vocal cord off button sometimes, do you not? Yeah? Okay. 
I know my parents probably wished for a vocal cord off button for me and my brothers when we were younger. But I, <laughs> you're still wishing for it for me. <laughs> Damn, Nikki. But I have to admit, for a short period of time in primary school, there was a craze that was going around. Um, and it's a craze that I never regret purchases because I don't like to regret things. In the end, you learn from mistakes, you make memories, but there is one purchase in my life that I really, really regret still to this day. And I don't know why I regret it so much, because I've bought way sillier things. But does anybody know what go-go's are? Two people know what go-go's are. Go-go's are tiny plastic little figurines. They don't have arms that move. They uh, are useless. They don't do anything. Um, they cost $20 for three of them, and they're literally about that big. They have a, a face that, like, they, they have got these faces that are stuck on, and if you heat it up in your hand too much, you can accidentally rub your face off. So in the end, they're literally just a plastic lump that you buy for $20. But there was a craze at school, so I thought I had to get on the bandwagon, so I bought these Go-Go's. $20 for three of them. Biggest waste of money of my life. But at, at recess and lunch, we used to, we decided, because Go-Go's were the thing, that we would make these big armies of Go-Go's. Now, I had friends that spent $100 on lumps of plastic. And I don't know how their parents justified it. I remember Dad telling me, Tim, this is a waste of money. I bought them anywhere. He was right. <laughs> Very right. Dads are smart. Listen to me, young people. Dads are smart. Um, but... We made these armies at recess and lunch, so we had these big armies on either side and we would make our go-go's like kind of come close to each other and they'd battle and they'd fight and do nothing. But we, de we decided because lunch and recess wasn't enough for us, we'd bring them into the classroom. And if you ever thought you were sneaky as a young person playing with go-go's up the back, you are not. Every time they fall over, they clatter and make this noise and then you'd giggle and then we were making explosion sounds. And we thought Mrs. Ridge wouldn't notice. It, she did, and she confiscated all of our go-go's. Has anybody got young people at Gooseby Hill Primary School? No? Okay. So, it might just be my parents that know then. Mrs. Ridge and Nick was the strictest, the grumpiest, and the grouchiest teacher in the primary school. She was, she was also the best teacher. She set me up for high school, and she was amazing, because she actually made me study. But she was grumpy and grouchy, and... If she confiscated something, the only way to get it back was for mum and dad to pick it up. The problem is, my mum and dad are both teachers. So you, they would have to come after school, and it was such an amazing teaching technique. This is something I'm actually learning, becoming a teacher. Get their parents to pick it up, because they don't want to come with their parents to get it picked up. They'll never do it again, ever. Like, they don't want their parents to know that they were mucking around in class. So it's a great technique for making sure they don't do it again. But my parents couldn't make it because they were teachers. So when Mrs. Ridge knocked off and went home, my parents knocked off and went home. So they would come and they'd have to come and pick me up, but they were at different schools. So they'd pick me up from grandma's. So my go-go's actually stayed with Mrs. Ridge for a few days. And I was meant to tell my parents to come pick it up, but I didn't want them to come pick it up because I didn't really want them to tell me off for playing go-go's in class. And they couldn't pick it up anyway. So I decided to do the only thing that I could do. And I became a cat burglar at the age of 10, 10 years old. Now, I wasn't just any cat burglar. I was like, I was Ocean's 11 type cat burglar. I was a really, really smart young dude because there was a specific time when the teachers went home. So Mrs. Ridge left around four o'clock and I usually didn't get picked up. Do you reckon around 4.30 mum I'd get picked up? 
around 4.30, so mum would finish at 4, then she'd come from work, and she'd come through and pick us up from grandma's. So I went over just after 4, knowing Mrs. Ridge wouldn't be in her classroom, but the classrooms were locked. So I decided to do it on the day that the cleaners were in. But the cleaners, I knew they started from the junior block and worked to the senior block. I was in the senior block at that stage, so I thought, hey, I'll go while they're in the junior block. So they're in the junior block, still cleaning, and the doors are unlocked because the cleaners are about to come in. So Tim, with his puffed-up chest, walks through the school, making sure he doesn't go near the admin because he doesn't want the teachers to see him. There's no teachers in the classroom. The doors are unlocked. He walks straight into Mrs. Ridge's classroom, the strictest, meanest teacher, like... I was a tough young man to go up against Mrs. Ridge. I took the go-go's out of her top drawer, closed the door, and walked back out. And I felt awesome. I'd gotten away with it, and I was the greatest cat burger of all time. Of course, Mrs. Ridge immediately suspected that I came and took them when they were gone the next day. So she pulled me out of class, first thing before the first lesson, and she grilled me. She grilled me for quite a while, trying to get me to admit but I had already done the deed, and I was a hardened criminal by this stage, so I was not going down for what I did. So I spun a web. I spun a big old web, and by the end of it, I don't think she could keep up with what I was saying, and I won. So I got away with it, and I thought, I've gotten away with this. I am the top pops. So I walked back inside, and then she called one of my classmates out. And the hardened cat burglar that I was didn't prep enough to notice that there was actually one of my classmates standing outside of the classroom at the other entrance when I'd come in, walked in, grabbed my go-go's and walked back out. And I was hoping, you know what, he's a good guy. I've made all this effort and I've done all this work to get away with it. He'll, he'll help me out and he'll, he'll at least say, I didn't see anything. But I've never seen somebody turn on somebody so quick. I don't even think Chris's Porsche could turn a corner as quick as this kid turned on me. Like, I, 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 as soon as he walked out the door, the door hadn't even closed, and I wanted to stuff the words back in his mouth as he said, Tim took the go-go's. Like, it was just, it was immediate. Like, he didn't even, didn't even hesitate. I thought he'd have my back. And I was so offended at this dude. I was so offended that he wouldn't have my back, that he wouldn't help me get away with it. And I learned... Three really valuable lessons that day. One, you cannot change and you, you cannot tell people how to say things. You can't influence how they do life and you can't make them do what you want to do. Two, teachers are smarter than you, so don't try to steal your go-go's back. And three, if you want to be successful, plan. Now, the successful thing, I thought that, that's just, it's irrelevant, but I thought it's really important to know. Be planned if you want to be successful. And, you know, in, in saying that... It's, that's, a very, that's a good, important one. Probably should have added that. But, you see, we, we all have opinions, and every single one of us, I guarantee, at one stage or another, in fact, I guarantee probably 50% of you have said it this week, oh, I wish everybody just drove like me, and then we would get to the place on time, and there wouldn't be crashes. Yes? This morning, on the way here to church. Every single one of us has said that because we've all got opinions, but we think if everybody just did the th things the way that I did, everything would work out. I say that all the time when I'm driving. I'm sure a lot of you do too. But you see, because we're not all the same and because opinions differ, unfortunately, offense occurs. And it occurs on a regular basis. We get offended at things. And it can be little things. It can be big things. 
and it's our inability to control other people's actions that leads to this. But because we have such a pervasive culture of hate and such a pervasive culture of I don't like what you do and I don't like what you think, so I don't like you, offense just continues to build and it continues to build and build. And see, when we are offended, we have three choices in our response to offense. Now, you can say what you want about there could be others, but I believe there's three choices that we have. And there's two that are useless and do damage. And there's one that is the biblical response to offense, which we're going to get to, but I want to outline the other ones. Now, the first one, which I've observed to be the most popular choice, we like to have a pity party. We like to, it says, do nothing and let it rot inside you. So we get offended, so we do nothing. And we like to have a pity party where we rehearse the details over and over again, each time adding a little more negative thinking, and it's not long before we have what the Bible calls the root of bitterness. So in Hebrews 12, verse 14 to 15, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Letting offense simmer unchallenged leads to the destruction of your relationships with others. And it will lead to the destruction of the relationship of the person who wronged you. It will color every future interaction, every future action, and every future word said by the offending person. You will interpret every action that they do, every word with suspicion, and every minute detail will be scrutinized in a negative light. And you build a case against them. If you let it rot inside you, if you do not address offense, you end up having those conversations in the shower where you're having an argument with them and you win every single time. It doesn't matter if they try to challenge you on what you've said, you win. And we've all had that conversation. I've heard Nick and he's probably heard me in the shower. When you get offended with someone, you rehearse it. You rehearse what you're going to say. But you know every time that you go to try to say what you think you need to say to them, it's never going to go that way because they have their own thoughts about it. They have their own thoughts about what went down and they're not going to say what you thought they would say. So you never do it, and you just let it rot inside you. So that's the first one. And the second response that we have to offense is to get even. So getting even, technically, you could try to argue that it's a biblical response. And it comes in a close second. It's the world's favorite, but in Exodus 21 verse 24, it says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. So it could be biblical. You could justify it. They wronged me, so I need to wrong them back. Unfortunately, Jesus came. And see, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he removed our sins. So when you try to get even, when you try to take the eye for an eye method, what you're saying is I need, they need to pay for their sins. Problem is their sins are already paid for. And if their sins are paid for, it's useless you trying to get even with them because all you're doing is making it so that you need to pay for your sins. But your sins are already paid for. And you just go in this circle, in this spiral where it's useless and it just damages relationships. See, getting even is not biblical because Jesus came. It's the first one, you can let it rot inside you. You can get even. Or the third one is to respond biblically. 
And see, God knows that we are going to get offended in this life. He wasn't shocked the first time it came along. And it says in Luke 17, verse 1, it is impossible but that offenses will come. God is expecting that offenses will come. He didn't, when the first offense happened, he didn't say, damn, what am I going to do? He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and he knows offenses will come. And I feel like the Bible probably does give us a roadmap of how to deal with offenses. And see, I believe it comes from two passages, how to learn, how to respond to offense. Now, this whole message here isn't trying to poke fun at anybody. And I myself had to learn this myself, and I'm still learning this. As the church, we need to be able to respond to offense, and we need to show the world how to do it. Because if we're not showing the world how to act, what are we doing? If we're not acting different to the world, if we're not living a life different to the world, what are we doing? Like, there's no point. But there's two verses. The important thing to note is these two verses, if they are not married together, you're going to end up letting it rot, or you're going to try to get even. If you don't marry these two verses, one or the other will happen. And the first verse, which I'm sure you have all heard, is Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. To respond biblically, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And if they refuse to listen, treat them as a pagan or as a unlawful tax collector. Now, it's really, really important to note that you cannot let offense take root. You need to address offense before it takes root. Address it quickly. Do not wait. But this does not mean to do it in public. This does not mean to attack the person. This does not mean to have a go at them because they had a go at you. If somebody offends you, address it in private with them, away from others. Tell them that they offended you. Tell them how and why they offended you. And then ask forgiveness. Because believe it or not, we all kind of get caught up on our own offense that we forget how often and how easily we offend others. So the first thing is address the offense. But you see, if you don't marry it with this second verse, addressing the offense can really easily become getting even. And see, getting even isn't necessarily, it doesn't have to be like evil. It doesn't have to be vindictive. Getting even can be paying a comment back with a comment. It can be having a go at somebody because they had a go at you. It can be passive aggressiveness. And we so easily switch into those modes instead of addressing it. See, when we address something, we need to address it with peace and with grace. Grace beyond our understanding because Jesus addresses our sins with grace. So if somebody offends you, address the situation with grace, but you have to marry it up with this second verse, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 21 to 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. See, sometimes we cannot change somebody else's opinion. We can't change the difference. We can't make up for the void that has been created. We can't make up for the offense. And the best thing that you can do in that situation is love the person and just move on. 
Because if you don't move on, then it leads to the rotting. See, the second verse here leads to the first. You let it rot. And the first verse leads to the second. You have a go. But if you marry them together, it's like an apple. If you leave an apple, if you've got a little bit of mold on the outside of an apple, you can usually, or bruising, you can usually cut it off. And then you can eat it. But that's if you get it to it early, if you address it. But if you don't, and you just leave it to rot, the whole apple's gone bad. See, such a simple little thing as somebody saying something. I've seen this time and time and time and time and time again. We're best friends, we're friends, we're family members, won't talk to each other anymore because of the most insignificant little interaction that happened a long time ago. That if the offence was addressed in the first place in a healthy way, if the offence was addressed where you talked and you let it go, you'd still be friends. But it happens time and time and time and time again. And the last thing is, 1 Peter 1 verse 6 to 7, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds. Right there it's saying you are going to suffer offense in all kinds. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, don't always mistake offense as an attack from the enemy. Oftentimes, God will orchestrate offense so that you can test, bolster, and improve your faith. When we respond biblically, we are offered the opportunity to bolster our faith. We are offered the opportunity to bolster their faith. See, and when we are able to address offense quickly and well and then move on with life, it gives us opportunity to get on with our relationship with the person. It gives us opportunity to move on with them, to bring healing, to bring mending. You see, looking back on my Go-Go's encounter, it was so juvenile, the whole situation. And it was so juvenile that I got frustrated and I got offended at a friend who gave me up. In the end, that was the best thing he could have done. Taught me some valuable lessons and taught me don't try to steal stuff back. But it was so juvenile, yet there are some situations that I find even more juvenile. When fully grown adults who should know better let a small offense affect their relationship with a person and let it break them down when fully grown adults let somebody's small word color their opinion of a person instead of addressing it and moving on. And you see, I would consider myself juvenile if I let that happen because I don't actually think there's anybody in the world who argues quite as much as me and my brothers. Every single dinner time, my parents will attest to this, there is a yelling match of some sort. We argue we get mad at each other, and it'll be over the most trivial, stupid things that will then lead into these full-blown arguments. My cousin has a saying, whenever we start arguing, he just starts yelling, I'm here for an argument. <laughs> but if I let such small offenses, because I can guarantee my brothers have offended me with some of the things they say, but I've definitely offended them with some of the things that I say. If I let that 
color my relationship, if I let that destroy or damage in any way, I'm no better than the world and I'm no better than a baby. We need to teach the world how to forgive. We need to teach the world how to move on. We need to be different from the world. The world is caught in this cycle of, you wronged me, so I deserve justice. I'm going to wrong you back or I'm going to cut you out. But people wronged Jesus left, right and center and he loved them all the same. So I want to challenge you right now and I just want you guys to close your eyes across here. Not going to get you to raise your hands or anything like that. I just I want you guys to just be in your own mind right now, away from everybody else. If you can do that without closing your eyes, cool. But I want you to picture right now, I guarantee there is an offense that is in your heart. If there's not, fantastic, keep up what you're doing. But if there is an offense that somebody has said something that has not sat right with you, if you have been rehearsing something, and if somebody has just wronged you in a way that you have not been able to forgive yet, I want you to picture that person right now. Again, if you have nothing, brilliant, fantastic, and keep that up. Okay, you can open your eyes now. And you've got a week to make up with that person to address the offense. Don't leave it. Don't wait. Don't let relationships break down because Jesus calls us to unity. We just finished a whole series on Ephesians where we learned that unity is key to the body of Christ working. And if there is especially a believer, someone who has faith that you are still offended by, address it and move on. The longer you let it sit, the more damage it can do. You see, offense isn't sent by the devil, but offense can be used by the devil. So let's address offense in our life. If the band want to come up, that'd be awesome. And I'd just like to pray as we finish off. And we're going to worship once more. I love to challenge people when I speak. And if you feel challenged, awesome. Go out and do it. If you don't feel challenged, congratulations. Because I love the fact that you don't let offense stay in your heart. But if you have been letting offense have a hold in your heart, if you've been letting it rot, or if you've been getting even, and you know you've just been getting grumpy, turn back to the Bible. And if you need to, just reflect on these verses, Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17, and Ecclesiastes 7, verse 21 to 22. Marry them together, and that is how we deal with offense. Let's be unoffendable this year. It doesn't matter what people say. Our future is locked in heaven. So they can say what they want to us. We've got an almighty Father who loves us so much, and it's our goal to bring them to Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to worship. Lord God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you put us first and thank you that you died on the cross, Lord God. That we can't get even, Lord, because their sins are already paid for and our sins are already paid for. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us where we have offended others. And Lord God, that you would forgive others where they've offended us, Lord God. Will we stop dwelling? Will we stop trying to get even? God, will we respond biblically? Would we respond in love, in compassion, in grace? give you glory we give you honor lord we thank you for this new year lord would you take us out to be unoffendable lord would we have so much grace that when people try to offend us they just see jesus love we pray these things in your mighty name amen